This is going to be the Griffin Review outdoors. And there's a couple topics I think that the producers wanted us to get around to today. Mm-hmm. Uh, did you want to lead off with any comments first, Matt? Uh, no, just that this is uh, this is going to be a spicy one. We've talked about the topics in advance, so stay tuned. It's it's gonna it's gonna be a wild ride. Sure. Uh, do you want to start, or should I introduce a oh, topic? You should 100% start. I'm very excited to talk about your topic. Okay, well, <laughs> th- this topic for the news was kicked off this morning when I texted you asking, what do you want to do when running the show today? Mm. Just kind of, what, what topics do we want to have? And you replied, man, it's been pretty quiet lately. Yeah. And I said, I thought to myself, I thought, well, we'll make news and pitch that. And that just kind of got me thinking about the news lately. And the news lately has been very polarized. And I say lately, meaning the past five to eight years. Agreed. I have a theory, which is probably not unexpected, but that it's only going to ramp up in intensity over the next year into the uh, United States election cycle. Yeah. What should we expect from, in your view, as a geopolitical analyst, what kind of messages do you think we're going to see which might be disregarded as propaganda or which messages we might see which should be paid attention to because that's the truth of what's going on out there. To, to me, the biggest issue that I take is that it's, it's all propaganda in some sense. Sure. What I mean by this is when I was watching the first Republican debate, the topic came up about climate change. And the whole debate was about whether or not it's real, not about what are qualitative steps that we could even make to interfere with the process or to reduce emissions or anything else like that. It was all just, is it real? Is it not real? Because wow. the politicized element only extends to these weird black and white questions. It has very little to do with the actual nuance of the situation. Or how to solve it, I wager. No, I am very pro-petroleum. I'm very pro-natural gas. I'm very pro-all of that stuff. The reason I bring this up isn't because I, you know, think that the United States should be making huge interventions concerning carbon emissions. There's a limit there, yes. There's a limit there, but I don't think the conversation is even being had in the first place. And so you're asking, what kind of, what kind of topics do you think will become more prevalent? What will be polarized? What will be turned into propaganda? I think it's all propaganda. It's, it, these are all one-off issues that don't affect Americans. They're just the most convenient political expediency that can be brought into the equation. Now, how do you, in your opinion, how does the... God. How shall I put this? But the big data equation solve into that because without a doubt, and I'll probably get a lot of pushback from this, we are one of the more heavily monitored societies mm. to ever exist. No, it's true. With modern technology, even, probably even past what the Soviet Union was that that is one of the few stories that we actually had come out is that in New York City they're monitoring house parties these days yes just for Labor Day which is ridiculous and if you can hear the airplane going overhead maybe they're monitoring us right now I wouldn't doubt it there's choppers around here all the time oh I know (laughs) big brother's always watching but But even in the United States it's more than it has been in other countries previously yeah and part of that is capitalism yeah big data is based on marketing And marketing, guess what? The U.S. government is a customer. They're a customer who can come and get stuff for free if they like. Also, American citizens are the most profitable customer to sell to, 
right? The average American's data is worth something uh, like on Facebook, it's worth something like fifty dollars. Sure. Whereas the average citizen of Ghana is probably worth about two max. Sure. There's it's a comparison just, there. The purchasing power does affect the relative value. And that's why I think our political system, our, our news cycle, will always be driven by, not by actual fundamental issues, mm -hmm. but by things to just get people engaged, oh, viewed. De definitely. Get viewed. Clickbait yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah. Hmm. It's way more powerful. Well, and that's kind of like what the contention here is, is one, someone makes the news. Someone decides what's news, right? Yeah. There's a lot of power in that position. The, the second is that we are super heavily monitored. Mm -hmm. And third, the big data has made our society easier to cater the right news to. Right. It, like you were saying, the, the value of a person's data is X, and the value of knowing that person's data is X plus mm. something. That's yeah. an equation. Let's write that down, boys and girls. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's, a, there's a constant, and then there's the variable. All getting to the fourth point. The, this next wave is go, going to be through the 2024 election yeah. is going to be wild as marketers, marketing, and AI, don't forget that, better figures out how to show you the right news that you, they want you to see, that you ought to see. I'm already worried about my yeah. news sources. I hit like Drudge and Google News and Reuters, but... Yeah. Even then, sometime, I know a ton of it is being written by an algorithm or aided by an algorithm. Right. And, and you know that I'm politically moderate, and I'm finding myself becoming more and more apolitical. Because it's very hard for me to care about what politicians are talking about when nothing that they're talking about has any tangible value to it in the first place. Sure. Right? So I'll still do independent research, look up five to ten resources on topics that I'm interested in. Yeah. You know, how is the Permian Basin doing? How is, how is fracking the Permian Basin doing? Very interesting topics, dare I say. Right. <laughs> but these are things that are going to affect the socioeconomic standing of the entirety of the state of Texas. You know, or how is Poland reacting to the Russia-Ukraine war? Um, what is the oh, that's something we got to dig into. It, but, but my point is, these are the topics that I'm legitimately interested in. And I'll go to 10 or 12 different sources, and I'll get a pretty good feel for it. I don't really care about what Nikki Haley's qualifications are to be president of the United States when everybody who's running on the RNC stage is a complete buffoon. It doesn't matter yet. Right. Also, it just doesn't, it just, <laughs> I can't give thought energy into that. But the likelihood that any of this is going to, to matter is, is really low. I'm more interested in policy than I am people. Oh, that's, I like that. That, that should be a stance of this publication house. Yeah. We, we go for the policies, not the... Eh. We like people, too. Oh, we're, we're, inter we're interested in how policies affect people. We're not your HR department, but no. we do <laughs> like people a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but that's, that's just the conflict that we're always going to run into, is just the news is always going to prioritize the most salacious story. It won't give credence to the actual policy and procedures that dictate our day-to-day -day lives. And that's hmm. okay. It's the it's the devil's deal that we've made as Americans that we'd rather be entertained by our news sources than informed. And I think that's a failure. Well, what's your opinion on the origin of the term referring to the TV schedule programming? Mm. It's I uh, you know what you watch, what you put in front of your eyes, and all that stuff is programming for your mind in some way, shape, or form. Um, yeah. I don't know. What's your opinion on the 
origin of that word? I think when news becomes entertainment, when it becomes programming, rather than necessary information to make you a conscientious, informed, and educated citizen, when you move away from information into entertainment, that is when you've already lost. Here's, I'll tell you, it's worse than that. This past to just being entertainment is to the point where TV and cable TV only exists now because it's propped up by the people who do the marketing. Right. Cable TV exists as a supplement so that you can get shown ads. And and to me, that's there, there's a, a bit of a there's an aspect of this that leads into a low trust society, which is what we're generating actively. Sure. The idea behind let's let's use an example of this. California's decision to not prosecute the vast majority of low-level crimes and offenders. Sure. Because they've realized that it's an economic loss for them you know, to prosecute somebody, to throw them in prison. Prison is a very expensive affair. And to do all those things, it's massively taxing on the Californian coffers. Sure, sure. But what they don't realize is that by not prosecuting low-level offenses, that has precipitous consequences that are highly negative on Californian businesses, which then leads to less wealth in the coffers business flight. The reason I bring this up is I think you run into the same situation with the American news system, where on face value, marketing is going to be the constant driver towards Americans getting entertainment rather than news. Sure. But it would be more beneficial for the country, for Americans, even for marketers and advertisers, if news was legitimately informational because it would have a positive impact on the American society that would precipitate into the economy. Let's throw another monkey wrench into this equation. Let's suppose that people don't even want to be informed. They want to be entertained. People don't really care about the actual news. They want the news that's going to, again, be clickbaity. Right. Maybe affirm their beliefs because that's that's how you get people to watch Fox News, agree with them, right? Right. Or in any news channel for that matter, right? Maybe yeah. the American people aren't all grade A citizens who want to be an informed citizen and can be a good part of their community. Some right. are. But should, does the state have a responsibility to make its citizens better, or is it the citizens' responsibility to make the state better? Well, those are hand in hand. I don't think that's really a fair question. Well, I, I ask that because should the state be legislating what kind of information we're seeing on a day-to-day basis, or is it the people's obligation to make their voices heard and put their time, their viewing time, where their espoused values are, and only and, and not watch Fox or CNN anymore. Wow, has this conversation looped around to a First Amendment freedom of speech conversation? Is that that's what's happening in Hollywood right now? Yeah, it's a Second Amendment thing with coupled with AI. I think. Yeah, like the heart of the issue, I think, is very difficult, and that's not stopping us third parties from producing content. <laughs> but no, we're not, we're not part of associated with uh, screenwriters or screen actors guild, as you can tell from these photogenic faces. Oh, yes. Yeah. We're not, we're not uh, movie star material. No, of course not. But I haven't taken checks from them in a, in a good decade. <laughs> but I think it still brings up the issue of where do we move forward from this society, as a society? I'm confident in how I'm receiving my news still because I'm going directly to the sources. You trust your sources? I trust my sources because they are industry sources. So these are sources that are 
intentionally informational because having an informed subscriber base, having an informed reading cohort That's helps power, them. Actually. It, it, it gives them power <laughs> and it, 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 they're allowed to, to leverage that position for a economic benefit. Or a cultist can do that and do it for right. huge economic and human loss. So is it also in the government's benefit to step in in those situations? I think it's no. It's kind of the community's job to step in in those situations. I think that's the point of organizations like the FDA and CPSC, Consumer Product Safety Commission, is that there are some things the general American cannot be expected to protect themselves from. And whether it's carcinogens in your food, salmonella, um, whether it's uh, a sharp toy for your child, whatever it is, it's something that causes an undue and unforeseeable risk. Right, we're not talking about banning gas stoves. We're talking about banning flammable toys or, you know, food with, laden with lead. Yeah. So the question arises, and, and this will be my last question, I promise. The question arises, does information represent a similar obligation or is it its own field? Is it protected under freedom of speech unlike food or drugs Just informa- or a parcel else. of information by itself? Right. Does it have the same capacity for harm and thus needs to be similarly protected as food, as product? Mm. Well, it depends. And I hate to be oh, the person saying true? that, but it, it, I think it depends on what the... First of all, who's the owner of this parcel of information? Right. Let, let's start get, gaining our perspective by this individual, this entity, and their known profile, paired with what the parcel of information is. Right. And if you can put two and two together, and this is a dangerous person, then you know you need to act. Right, but that's what, what you're describing is the ultimate legal cop out. This is the <laughs> this is how they sat down and came up with the plot of that um, Tom Cruise movie where they act, the police get you in the future. Oh, yeah. Before you commit the crime. The, the um, Minority Report. The Minority Report. Great movie. Good movie. Yeah. And they did a Futurama spoof of it, too. They did. I somehow like the Futurama spoof more than the actual movie. <laughs> is. Man, that the original movie was just all, you know, cinema colors. Oh, yeah. Lots of lens flare. <sighs> and then Futurama has fly, Fry just randomly joining the police and trying to save Bender. Yeah. The red ball, sir. <laughs> <laughs> oh, neighbors. No, Anyways. Nev- nevertheless, I think we've... I'm glad we talked about this because it definitely represents not just the future for our show or similar podcasts, but also the future of how you, the viewer, are going to receive information going forward. Because at the end of the day, we're all kind of just passengers on this ship together. We don't... We don't know where information technology is going to go, how it's going to be legislated, anything else like that. We can predict that with a little bit of accuracy, just see what's in the court right now. But we can either say it's going to continue on this free market path. Sure. Or it's going to be controlled and monitored and both have their own set of problems. And I don't want to assume that I have the answers for which way it's going to go. So with that being said... Um, I think we're going to move on to our next topic, if you're good with that. Um, well, I think our next topic today is uh, dedicated to viewers like you, who 
I've had a couple of people tell me that they watch the show. <laughs> and to, to all that, three like, of you a, out there, know, thank you so much. To all three of you guys, right on. <laughs> I'm sorry we have such, shall I quote, juicy content. <laughs> it's almost a little bit better than that Europe audiobook I did. That, that was pretty that's grisly pretty, at parts. It's pretty spicy. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, thank you guys for watching. <laughs> this is... We do appreciate it. One of the lamer things we do. Yeah, but it's also an, an enjoyable experience for all parties involved. Yeah. All right. We'll be, we'll be back. And we're back on the Griffin Review. Matt and Grant. And this session is going to be Matt's topic. Matt, what do you have to tell us about jo job security in the age of artificial intelligence, or AI? Well... It really depends on the field. So I, you know, I'm going to steal your answer. It depends. It depends. Uh, but there are a few factors that are really important. The first off is how critical of, a, of an integration is there. As in, is your job multifaceted? Is your job single, one-dimensional? Are you just putting files into an Excel folder? Or are you actually interacting with people doing five or six different overarching tasks as a part of your job? Question. Yes. Is any, like, physical job out of the equation immediately, basically? What do you mean by out of the equation? Like, fully secure or fully insecure? Fully secure. They're like, moving boxes or being the guy who stocks the floor at a tile workshop. Building, construction, maintenance, plumbing, any trade... Those are secure. At maximum, about 10% of those jobs will be lost. And the assumption is that most of those jobs that are going to be lost are going to be on the robotic side. It's I not see. because of AI. It's because machines do it better on an assembly line. Yeah, as robotics kind of get more and more integrated, there's going to be right. a tipping point in trades, I think. But I think that's another topic. Now, to clarify real quick, this information that I'm using is coming from Goldman Sachs. This isn't just... Any random source, this is a pretty preeminent source. Oh, we're saying that matter. to elevate this source. Yeah, right. I'll, I'll buy it. Goldman Sachs isn't known to, shall we say, cut corners on their research or pull punches. They're going to give us the information as it is and interpret it in a perhaps unpleasant way for a lot of people. I, uh, you trust a good analysis and I'll follow suit? I, well, I trust that they're going to be honest. Whether you know, we like what they're honest about is going to be a different matter entirely. Let's hear it. <laughs> yes. Well, there are two main fields that are incredibly vulnerable, according to Goldman Sachs. The first off, surprising absolutely nobody, is the legal profession. Could lose up to 70% of all legal professionals. Is this the bottom 70% of skill? Or is this the bottom 70% of tasks? This is the bottom, this is 70% of the entire profession. I bet because most of it is just evidence gathering and you can train a computer model to do that so easily. You can. Oh and my God. Current AI is already outdoing most lawyers. Now, sometimes that AI model brings in fake cases, but as soon as you can scrub the problems out of ChatGPT or, or what have you as your, as your analytic source, as soon as you can fix those errors, you'll have a business. robot that's better than lawyers are. That's, it, it, it'll be better at a field of such vast complexity. You'll be able to take on so many more cases without having to go to court, right. so that the ones that you do have to go to court are pretty big winners. And people, that, 
people will be able to represent themselves better. That's, That's pretty cool. The fact that you can cut lawyers out of the equation for your legal dispute is going to revolutionize the legal system as a whole. Let me ask then, where does the term human in the loop play into this application of AI? Is there a human in the loop? The judge. Right? The, in, in terms Not of who's like, compiling their case? The compilation can be done by analysts on the outside. They don't have to be lawyers. They're just data analytical experts. To, anyone who knows how to use the software. That right. still sounds like a minor barrier. It real, it's, it's something that could be done by uh, people overseas who are willing to do the work for $8 an hour. That, but then when that happens, you surrender data. You That's do. what worries me. Every single time that we, as America, outsource something, which is fair. I've done it a lot with building yeah. that clothing company. <laughs> we don't talk about that, but yeah. every time the U.S. outsources something, we not only outsource the job, but we outsource a little bit of information. Mm -hmm. And information is the fuel of the 21st century. We've, we've had this talk. Absolutely. And that might be going to our enemies. It might be, but in the ma vast majority of cases, it's going to similarly aligned economies. That's fair. That's it, fair. It, it'll go to people who can provide the low-value-added inputs for this kind of stuff. The medium-value-added and high-value-added inputs will be kept onshore, on location. Sure. If it's something you need a master's or doctorate degree for, that'll be left in the United States. But if it's something that some 16-year-old could do behind their computer, you know, without even finishing their high school degree, that can go overseas. So I think I'm pretty fine with sacrificing data that's not of the highest value. In aggregate, it might be important. Sure. But individual pieces aren't going to revolutionize the industry. I buy that, yeah. That being said, the main point of this article says up to 70% of the entire legal professionals, with judges excluded, are up for grabs. Judges excluded. You still need judges. You still need human judges as officials to adjudicate these cases. That's fair. And they will also be able to determine the application of the law. Because all ChatGPT is really doing is making a foundational argument in support or against the implementation of a certain standard. Based on the code that has been given, and the code that has been given is just the legal text. Absolutely. And so you need a human on the other end to determine what the actual consequence is, what the implications are, what precedent is being set, and those all happen on individual case-by-case -case level. Understood, yeah. So. Moving aside from the legal side. The other one is? Office administration. Oh, no problem. Are you kidding me? And That's accounting. obvious. It's obvious that that is. Because accounting is just following one big code. Up to 70% as well. Someone needs to make it a good interface, though. I still hate doing all my own books. They're all in, like, Google Sheets. I used to use QuickBooks. Mm. And then... It wasn't too complicated. It was just not right for my business. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I, I do get that because it's, it really is a level of professionalism to evolve past QuickBooks, looking at UFTX. <laughs> uh, but oh boy, if Sam Bankman-Fried got in trouble for using QuickBooks, I, I just I don't know how multi-billion dollar companies are, are operating efficiently. I, I really hope that that wasn't the only thing that they were using, but they're like, uh, he also kept his personal records in this. And no, like, I do that for day-to-day -day budget. He, he was only but, using QuickBooks. Oh, That's no. the problem. And for their, like, for their main accounting documents yeah. were QuickBooks. Anyways, we're not going to... It's gonna, not against, I mean... Yes, it's against... Excel or... 
QuickBooks? Excel or QuickBooks? Use Excel. Don't, oh, Excel is against the law. Yeah. QuickBooks is okay. For now. <laughs> yeah, it, it's like a software, though. Excel is just spreadsheets. Yeah. And that's the, <laughs> There's no legality to it at all. There's no illegality, which is the gray area. Or you could just hire, you know, a decently experienced accountant to actually, I don't know, do your job. Here's the thing with all that. That money doesn't actually exist. It's just numbers on a ledger. It, it's, fake, it's fake money. Before, but bef- they've been able to convince other people that it exists. Here's the problem. I agree with you. But before we go too far down this rabbit hole, because we could talk for hours about... We've got the conversation to finish. Management could lose between 20 and 50%. That is a lot of managers out of a job. Now, Once we get through these numbers, there's a critical question, but continue. Absolutely. The other thing that people don't think about is for almost every industry outside of building, construction, um, nursing, outside of you know, really, critical, really critical functions that you're like, no, AI cannot do that. It's too multifaceted. Sure. Everyone could lose between 5 and 20%. And you might be thinking initially, that doesn't sound too bad. 5 to 20%, we could do better. But think about it this way. If you're getting rid of 5% of employed persons in a field, that makes the other 95% of people have to fight like rabid animals to hold on to their jobs. You just it, be good at your job, though. Well, but it's not just being good at your job. You have to outcompete everyone else. This is evolution. It, Are you saying this as a description or as a criticism of the current society? I'm just saying this as the description. I'm yeah. not trying to criticize this in any way. It's, it's unfortunate, but I'm, this is not me. I think this is fortunate. Is Pareto principling like society? There's a lot of lazy yes. people out there. There are. I've said this before. <laughs> but I also think it's, it's dangerous to make your survival an arms race, right? To basically say in order to feed your family, you have to work... 12-hour days to outcompete the other guy who will only work 11 hours and 59 minutes, right? There's, there's this increasing level of competition when you just wipe out 5% of a field because now there's 5% of people who can't feed themselves. What do they do? And then the barrier to entry for that market increases. People either rise to the occasion or fall yeah. below it. And that cuts eventually, by the invisible hand, 5% of the pre-existing market. And you multiply that by 5% to 10% to 20%. This has actual impacts. For the legal profession, 70%, that means one in three, more than one in three, or fewer than one in three people will be able to maintain their current job. Talk about competition. Now, does it say that they're going to switch jobs within the legal field or no, there's, there's no more room? The work has disappeared. I see. As soon the as work AI, has been condensed, well, segmented between human and AI, and AI is just snatched up, up a ton. And AI takes it So over. what are these people going to do? Uh, either the countries in which they are rile them up and go to war. Or you have or, like a coronavirus package to just keep them fed. Or we. this is the start of the future where there's a big budget passed and people say, well, we can print money now. Let's experiment with this, and you guys just, here, live off the fat of the land for a little bit. Yep. Know that in 10 years, shit's going to hit the fan. So, you know, start preparing for that. But, you know, we, 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 there's a bit of a cushion right now, and that sounds unfortunate to me. That looks like what's happening in first world countries to the upper 
30% of society, more right. or less. Well, what do you do when humans need not apply, as it were, to steal the line from CGP Grey? If people aren't needed anymore, what do you do when you have excess production but not enough producers? Let me ask you real quick. So you say that there's going to be, a, let's say in the legal field, 70% of jobs disappear. Now, what about the caseload? Will that remain roughly constant, or is that going to drop okay. down significantly probably, as well? Probably something between the two. It probably won't remain roughly constant, but because it won't the decrease as much as you think it would. Caseload can drop significantly. Then mm -hmm. that 70% is still people out of a job. Well, caseload is, if you decrease caseload, you're increasing economic efficiency. What we have to remember about the legal system is that it's an intervention that is inherently inefficient. It would be optimal for no trial to ever make it to court, mm -hmm. right? If people abided by the laws of the land, performed their tasks diligently within the constraints of the legal apparatus, we would never need a lawyer. We would have to have lawsuits. Right. And it, Maybe occasionally for copyright stuff. And to me, and this is going to piss some people off, lawyers are inherently parasitic. I'm not saying we don't need lawyers. I'm just saying they as an institution, much like you know, tax accountants, aren't essential. They exist because of a flaw in the status quo. If they didn't exist, people would, I think there would be less value produced. So they give a benefit overall, but yes. it is parasitic in nature. So it's technically symbiotic, but it's more parasitic than it is symbiotic. And to me, if crime just disappeared, lawyers would be in the streets breaking windows. Yes. Right? And that's, that's the unfortunate reality, is that lawyers exist because there's crime. Well, you know, there's civil and criminal but I get what you're saying. Right. Well, even okay, civil. Civil. So civil there's still. Yeah. Like I would still need a lawyer to represent me when I sell some art, you know. But that person doesn't try, doesn't do criminal trials. If there was no crime in the world, I would probably still have this person on hand to do copywriting issues. Perhaps. That's something which America brought to the world. But by if the you, way. but if you were perfect at copywriting already and wouldn't need a lawyer to handle the protection from the infringement, you wouldn't need the lawyer in the first place. Again, all I'm trying to get at is lawyers are designed for protection and enforcement, but not for innovation or production. No, that's fair. That's why they're inherently parasitic as an organism. They don't, there's not much contribution to progress moving forward. No. They don't add to our GDP. No. <laughs> that's, that's yeah, unfortunate. I'm not saying Do lawyers, to say lawyers their are services? Bad. You can totally, they probably totally export their services. Like, over, like they'll work for overseas agreements and the like. Yeah, so you're bringing money in. Doesn't that add to G GDP? No, on the bottom line, if you're, if you're defining it in that very narrow aspect, then yes. But if you're defining 99% of the legal community, you know, from ambulance chasers to criminal defense attorneys, they're not adding anything tangible other than trying to make you some quick cash. That's fair. That's fair. I'm just, That's okay. That's a job. It's it a, is it's, parasitic. It is. We'll recognize that. And those lawyers who are bringing in money, what if you didn't need those people either? What if you had a condensed system of, of codified oversight. oversight that just integrated people naturally in through foreign direct investment? Anyways, I'm going to get off my, my, soap <laughs> wagon, uh, my, uh, my soapbox for a second. What I'm trying to get at is there are a number of different industries after the plane leaves. Yeah, there's a plane overhead right now. There are a number of different industries that are very susceptible. And if your industry, even if you're just losing 5 to 10%, you need to be prepared for the future. Because you don't want to be the first person in, last, uh, for, last person in, first person out.
right? If your company is going to downsize because it's integrating AI, you don't want to be the low-hanging fruit that it picks, hmm, right? I see. So having a competitive advantage is going to be more important now than it ever has been because how else are you going to prove that you shouldn't be in that 5% of the culling of of the culling you know from construction managers to accountants to elect, to uh, engineers a lot of mathematical engineers will just lose their job what about artists photographers oh. video producers those can all be dis- disappeared as well or at least a, a substantial portion of them because once the, the non actual artistic ones i think will disappear but the one, but ones where it's like this person right here, I trust to get the shot more than anything else. That's like as a camera operator. Yeah. I think that's a value that's tied to a person, and like an artist. It will. Be, think about the thirty percent of that community that no longer has purposeful employment. Yes. To me, to me that's the terrifying part. That we could be looking at between five and twenty percent of Americans that just don't have value. Right. What do you do when twenty percent of your society? isn't just unemployed, but cannot be gainfully employed. They find, I don't know. That if there's no new jobs Has for this them to Has this occurred take. in history before? Technolog- uh, technological pace has outpaced the people who live there? The last time we've seen this properly was what happened to horses with the invention of the car. It That's happened plain. to people, but it happened to horses. And now... Today, it's illegal to ride a horse in the street. It's like illegal. it's illegal. Yeah. And think about it this way. There is more animal abuse against horses than at any other time. There are fewer horses than by a substantial margin per capita than there was in the past. Technologically, we moved past horses, by and large. That's, that's the end of the day. Well, there are some horses that are cared for, loved, brushed every day, ridden. You know, they have a Competed. wonderful... <laughs> exactly. And there are still workhorses out there. are still some situations where horses do physical work. Not very often, but... Some of them like it. Some of them it's like, like it. like a strong man. Likes to lift big weights. So... Workhorse. <laughs> Warhorse. <laughs> likes to... Uh, they made... Sorry. They made a... Uh, they made an excuse to make a World War One movie about oh, a yeah. horse. <laughs> no, that was... It, it was a good movie. I'll, I'll give you that. But all I'm trying to get at is there's a very small number of horses that have made it to the 21st century. And I think humans are kind of in the same situation. If we don't have protections in place, humans will be the next horses. Whereas there will be some humans, the high-tier entertainers, the high-tier engineers, the people doing construction and plumbing and those skills that can't be taken over by AI. Those are the people who will have value and will be the horses that survive. So what do you do about... I don't like this analogy. I know. It's not fun. <laughs> You're saying that we're just the ones kept... The, the smart ones are kept around in little corrals? In t- n- never taken on major roads, but... Oh, that's very nice. You have a horse. Yeah. Oh, God. I hate horse people. They're freaking <laughs> annoying. <laughs> Human people are, too, I'm sure. Uh, but... You know what I mean. Yes, I, I do. Uh, this Keep is, going. This is just what I'm trying to get at, is... The future of each individual worker is in flux. What do we do when you don't need people to do things anymore? When they're an active detriment to your productivity? Well, there's still a lot of, and I hate to say it, manual things that need to be done in this country. There's yeah. a lot of this country that still has to be built. Plumbers, electricians, carpenters. No, even like anywhere. out in the wilds. Yeah. You just build stuff there. I know, but there's not, 
100 million jobs worth of out-in-the-wild stuff. No, that's true. Okay, so, so let's speculate. How will this be dealt with? First, the government is going to make a ton of jobs just to get people feeling somewhat fulfilled because not only does a job provide money, it provides a little bit of fulfillment. Even if you hate your job, it's something that you go to to do that day. So you're telling me that a government that is trying to be economically competitive will take a productive loss in order to protect the happiness of a minority of people that have no value anymore. Not only that, but to protect their own asses, because there's nothing more dangerous than a large population of your population sitting around doing nothing. But see, to me, it's this is like a, you have society. Do you remember? Did you watch Wally? Oh yeah, Wally was a great movie, right? You remember the like? I wouldn't call it great. It was a good movie. It's on the IMDb top 100, and I don't know why. Okay, excuse you. It's I like love number 79. Freaking love <laughs> Wally, dude. You can't you can't take that away from me. Do you remember, like, how all the people are, like, massively obese and, like, in chairs being floated around the megacity? Yes. Yeah. I think that that's the kind of society you're looking at where people are just a convenience to be kept around because they have no tangible value except their existence. Somehow. It's their society. Humans built it. Yes. But now it's, they've become over-prosperous and have 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 no use to, like, do things. They have no function. Aside from entertainment. Right. I mean, I think drug use spikes a lot. Because when you have nothing else to do, why not do heroin? Sure. I'm not saying this happily. I'm like, heroin is terrible. Not endorsing heroin, by the way. I was going <laughs> to... No, here, here's <laughs> what my... throwing it out there. Th- the direction I was going was that government is going to want to put people to work. A huge land grant or something will be created yeah. in which it hires 600,000 people to go and chop down some woods in America and yeah. build some dams and shore up some rivers and infrastructure. There will be a big infrastructure bill. You're talking about the New Deal, basically. New Deal 2.0. Exactly. Because there's so many people who are looking for a job and don't know where to find one, it's like, well, America needs some work done on it. Mm-hmm. Go fix some roads. Right. Let's build, let's build or refurbish our airports so we are com- the number one com- most competitive there. Let's go build a lot more infrastructure in, like, Alaska because... If global warming is true, that's thawing out a little bit. Right. And it's strategically super important, Alaska. I'm going to throw this out there, though. This is just just a thought. That probably the most prevalent thing that you'll find from AI advancement is anti-immigration sentiment. Because it wants a constant pool. It it wants a constant pool, and it's already going to... The system is going to buckle to keep half of these people who are going to lose their jobs over the next 10 years employed. Uh-huh. It's going to really struggle to find jobs for useless people. Uh-huh. So people will not uh, I will contend that there's going to be a big what I'm seeing and and hoping there's a pretty big manufacturing shift moving back to America more or less per se. And while a lot of those jobs particularly I think in design and the engineering unfortunately can be outsourced to an AI there's going to be a lot of stuff that needs to be built. America's foundry of like yep. that Great Lakes area in the Midwest. The is Rust going Belt. To, that place is going to come alive in 2025, 26 right. if Trump is elected. Even if not, it probably will. It's, it's inertia at this point. As like we talked about earlier, America just kind of emptied its balance sheet of shitty old equipment and now needs awesome new equipment. And they're going to say, we're not buying it from overseas. No. It all has to be made in America or Mexico. <laughs> But I guess what I'm trying to get across is the aggregate of those kinds of jobs and positions with production, I don't think they'll account for 
or compensate for the number of jobs that are lost to people that don't have employment. We're going to struggle to find enough jobs for all the people who are going to need those jobs. I agree, and you can't. Put, it's very hard to put a paralegal in a manufacturing plant. And they're not going to be. The paralegals are going to make pretty garbage engineers. I'm not saying this because I don't think paralegals are smart and competent people. I'm just saying, if we're being honest, you don't. There's personality types. There's personality types, and. I'm not sure if you've seen like the math people in the room with the communications people, but they're not, yeah. they're not the same person. The There's meme <laughs> of Barbie and Oppenheim. Um, uh, yeah. the, the actors walking together is like a uh, marketing team versus um, <laughs> like sales team or, versus engineering team. <laughs> right, and it's, it's a real difference. And when there's a, there's a large sector of society that might do the communications work, that might do the legal work, and they're all unemployed and they don't know how to do you know, calculus one, what happens to those people? Here's they have happens. to be employed. They use these new computer tools, AI, to do that hard calculus for them. They identify, here's a problem that really needs to be solved, because people aren't stupid. Right. People are stupid. Don't <laughs> yeah, I'm forget sorry. it. I'm just going to disagree with you on in, that in, If someone is desperate for a job and you kind of offer them a nice, cushy desk job, but the one part is you're not, you, you're not allowed to solve any complex equations. When you come across them, just ask the AI, but figure it out. Do the job. But is, are there enough of those jobs to account for the population? That's the I'm point. I'm softening the blow right I know, now. <laughs> I know you're softening the blow, but I just want to make it clear to our all of three viewers that at the end of the day, there are going to be a lot of unemployed people, and what you really don't want is more immigrants competing for the jobs against your population that is actively trying to survive. Unless you have universal basic income, unless you have a welfare state, unless you have protections put in place to keep unproductive people happy. Which is why I'm saying we'll see a bill like was in the New Deal where they just did go clear land and do all this outdoor stuff and build infrastructure because that'll put some people to work. And they can do other things like that to put other groups of people to work like... But th that number's way too, that number's big. And that's, that's why I just, I'm, I'm very concerned for the future, not just America, I think America, that immigration has always made us more competitive. But, I have nothing against immigration. Oh, I, I'm not saying this is against. I don't against, think you do either. I, I fully support immigration. I'm just saying it is the single group that is most adverse to immigration per capita in this country. Are the AI second, overlords? First and second generation <laughs> Hispanics. Oh, I believe that. Right, because they don't want more Hispanics to move in and outcompete them no, for I understand local jobs. It's it, it, psychology. Yes, it, it makes sense because it's in their best interests as a community to stay as a cohesive unit and not have too much competition. And I know that there's a lot of, pardon my French, a lot of shit going down in like Mexico with cartels and stuff right now. Yeah, it's pretty intense. And so there's a certain safety which is maybe expected of the United States which is not always granted, rarely, I would say. But the expectation is there, at the very least. Expectation is there. And I think the, the dance that we're going to have to play in this country is how much productivity are we going to prioritize versus how much human protection are we going to prioritize. Because if you just go for human protection, if you just you know, pay everybody to subsist on welfare, if you just pay people to be blobs and, and survive in their rooms, you know, do whatever they can. You know. Basically, with your excess production, you just give that to the people as a lump sum. Here's what they need. 
They need a war because that will supercharge the economy on a manufacturing and kind of take away the I can't do that job too, I must do this job if our nation is going to survive. And also with the economic benefits that come with a war. I think there are a lot of countries that are entirely void of natural resources that are entirely driven by human value-added inputs that could be outsourced or completely eliminated by AI. Those are the locations that are the most needed, where, where, it's, where war is most needed. Why? Right? Because if people are your only asset and value, if that's what your economy is driven by, is, is value-added from the human perspective sure. and not the natural resource, that means that you have all of these people who now are completely useless because AI does their job better than they do. And what do you do when you have all of this excess production, all of these excess people, and there's no connection between those two extremes? The hopeful side of me says that people will find a way and find jobs to do, even if it's such pointless things as little craft fairs where they make things and sell them to one another. Yeah, in a little trading, s- trading coconuts in the jungle. Exactly. Yeah, a little self-sustaining <laughs> economy just to, just to stay sane. You're talking about Joshua Tree right there. Yeah, just to stay sane so yeah. they have something to do to trade with one another. Yeah. Um, things that might not even matter to daily life. But do you think that's going to be the answer for most of these developed countries? Like, I, and I'm not asking this as a rhetorical question. I don't know. There that's- are so many different paths that can be taken all of them suck. Which suck do you choose? When you present it that way, it's an interesting question. An interesting future to consider. An interesting another multi of the multiverse, yeah. which we can peer into right now and make some decisions or not off of. Or perhaps, and this is a thought that I have in the darkest denizens of my mind, so theory crafting, might be the answer to the Fermi paradox. Oh, whoa, you just opened another can of worms. How does this relate to that? This is, in essence, as far as I can see, the Fermi Paradox asks, why isn't there anyone else out there? Alien-wise. Alien-wise. When we look into the stars, why do we see nothing talking back to us? Maybe it's when society reaches a point of development where productivity plateaus and human or the, the species need no longer apply, the species destroys itself. There's no motivation to work anymore? To, to use the example from Lord of the Rings for the, the dwarves in the mines of Moria, they dug too greedily, right? Humans developed advancement that they never should have acquired in the first place, which made them no longer required. It's not like the AI is going to do some Terminator garbage and like take over the universe and you know Arnold Schwarzenegger sure, is, sure. is controlling us all. I think it's more so that you would have a small group of hyper elite that controls every aspect of human existence and then the other 99% are just left to you kind of just live themselves. there. Oh, we kill each other. Fighting right. over what little resources remain. Yep. Kind of a Mad Max. No, more Elysium scenario. Have yeah. you seen that movie? Yes. It's, it's no, a pretty good film. And that, that's my point, is that when you get to that point where it's 1% versus 99%, does humanity just destroy itself? Well, isn't that kind of what we saw in the French Revolution? There was a 99 to 1 comparison there, yeah. right? And it did kind of destroy itself. It did destroy and then reshape and remake itself. But I, And I, that's just the cycle of life, so... I don't think this ties into the Fermi paradox at all because what yeah. unless we do some like because we're really close to nuclear war like that, very close this is, this is my point is that the French Revolution didn't have nukes 
If yes, that's it, true. It, we have we have a greater capacity to kill each other than we ever have had at any point in human history. Accidentally, it can be done in a snap, and on purpose, it could be done even faster than that. Yeah. And that's and I'm not trying to be too depressing. No, I'm we're not, not trying, trying to be too dark with it, but this is the reality that we are, we kind of sit in today in 2023 if as ev- Americans. If everything boils down to the economic value and input that you and I have, and that's no longer required, then you and I, to the state and to society, are worthless from an amoral perspective. So that that is true. So what the, the question to me then becomes: What then do we? use our time and energy and human gifts to produce which can still be valuable. And one of the things to me just seems to be kind of shows in conversations like this. Don't blind yourself to the reality of the future. Right? Don't don't hide under a blanket and say if I can't see it it can't hurt me. Because that's the opinion a lot of people are taking. Well the the question the opinion I'm hearing from you is what can we do? And I'm trying to answer the question what do we do with one as individuals? Or yeah, as a society. Or, or as like a group. Okay. Right? Like we can produce content. Yeah. I think that's valuable, even in the age of AI. You guys will have to tell us, though. Yeah, we can write stuff, right? Yeah. Can, I think that this is coming mostly from the artistic side, right? We can make things, but AI can do that pretty well. AI can write scripts. We've done a show, I think, where we used a chat GPT written script. I want to say... It was disturbingly good. Yeah, but that still had a human in, in the loop. It did. We, we edited it. We, we made adjustments accordingly. So I think that content production is an area that we can still use these AI tools to supercharge our capabilities, but it right. still w- might be worthwhile for in time to do it. At some point, though, I think... My main takeaway from an article, like the Goldman Sachs article is that there are two very different implications. What we ought to do as individuals, what we ought to do as a group or as a society. Yeah, let's consider. As individuals, make yourself indispensable. Acquire the skills that AI is not going to assimilate. So I've got bad news for you. If you like sitting in a dark room doing remote work, AI is probably going to be really good at sitting in a dark room and doing remote work. Like if, if I swear, one of my coworkers that I she's I've met her once in the past year because she works remote. Yeah, I, she had, I had to fix her PC. She was on campus, and she was like, I, "I was like, so you work remote all the time?" She's like, "Yeah, I'll answer you know two emails a day." And I'm like, "You're getting paid to do this? Is and it just like and it's not even like important stuff? It's just coordinating meetings for someone else in ten years." That oh doesn't exist, and there are so many jobs like that. And then all of those people who aren't, aren't employed anymore put pressure on all the people who are employed, which raises the bar for competition. Mm. If jobs are resplendent, then everybody's happy and nobody has to work very hard. If jobs are scarce, everybody, has, everybody who's employed works incredibly hard because they're always trying to outrun the bear of unemployment that's right behind them. If, you, if the analysis makes. Yeah, there has to, they have to make it back to equilibrium, which means I think at the end of the day, the average good job pay yep. increases to keep the good people, but it's down a bit from what it was because it's more competitive. So I think what... But the, it drifts upward a little bit to a new equilibrium. We've, we've talked about this a little bit, but I think one of the best things people can do, weirdly enough, physical fitness. Because your ability to go outside and lay pipelines 
is going to be a valuable skill. AI is not doing that. AI is not going to be why elastical work. Are physical jobs kind of off the books as far as getting taken over by AI? And the answer is yes. For the most do, part, do yeah. Making a difference in reality, moving, map, moving stuff. Weird shit. Weirdly enough, because humans are incredibly good machines, as it were, at multifaceted, complex skills like using a chop saw, like carpentry. driving an excavator, like carpentry, like electrical work, like plumbing. Those are multifaceted skills that AI really struggles with because it's not purely conceptual. It's conceptual combined with physical, yeah. which makes it so hard to do. There's an effect, a manifestation of intent into the physical world that happens. Yeah. Which is capable for a, for a machine to do, but it's not very efficient at it yet. And In 10 years, it might be. It might be. But and then the, we just hit another huge unemployment thing but as for, trade jobs get taken over. Exactly. Ooh. But for the next 10 years, at least, you can be pretty confident that trade jobs aren't going anywhere in a hurry. Agreed. Yes, you'll have 3D printed homes but they're not going to be the homes that everybody lives in. Not yet. You also still need a team to build it. Mm -hmm. Engineers, carpenters, It doesn't like replace all that no. group. It's just another way of laying concrete. And to me, that's, that's the really interesting part. So I would say to individuals, actually physical fitness is going to be really important for gainful employment when you consider up to 40% of Americans are obese. That means 40% of Americans would really struggle to put electrical lines in your house. If you can lift four 50-pound boxes a day, be capable to do it, and you'll outpace a ton of the field. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely, because you'll be able to compete in the fields that remain untouched. And then there's a willingness to do that, and that's just, guys, get over yourself. Lift things yeah. you're for your work. You're a human being. Also, your pride is not worth starvation. No. Right? You know, you're, if you think plumbing is beneath me, I'm almost sure that a plumber is going to make more money than you will. Or even warehouse working. Like, yeah. the, frankly, like, just exercise good lifting technique and yeah. you're getting a workout in. You'll get, like, a core, like, nobody's business. <laughs> Are you kidding me? <laughs> get that six-pack from listing boxes I, of I'm paper. I'm just saying, you know, I move boxes and 3D <laughs> printers daily. Uh, every, every day Looking I try great, to find guys. something physical to move. Yeah. Oh, but God. It's, it's finding those places where you remain integral to the process. So any takeaways that you would say for individuals, how they can outcompete machines in the future? Uh, first of all, I don't know how you find your thing, but when you do, practice it. Mm. You can't just kind of have it and it's yours. You have to practice it, make it your territory so that it becomes yours. Don't be like, a journeyman, be an artisan. Yeah, like people, especially if it's something you want to try and retain value and build a brand for yourself on, that mm -hmm. this person is good at that, so I'm going to hire them when yeah. I need this done. Right? You have to practice it. People I teach CAD, I say, you know, for four to five years now, I've been doing 30 minutes of CAD twice a week. Even if it's not on a regular project, it's just practice and the ability to translate idea yep. to a digital realm and then to 3D print it. That's something that you, I can't just teach you overnight. Like, you've got to practice. Right. I think the idea, if I, if I may build on this, is either be a, a fantastic generalist or a fantastic specialist, but don't be the somewhere in between. Right, if you're a generalist and you can cover 20 different tasks, AI is going to struggle to incorporate you because, or to take over your job because your job is so multifaceted. Sure. Simultaneously, if you are the guy, the industry specialist who does this job better than 
anybody else who's the reference. For example, we have a coworker named Brandon, who is, I would trust no, nobody more than Brandon on network engineering. Sure. Have complete faith in the guy. His job isn't going anywhere because he is the guy who is going to be the standard for network engineering. He sees it to that standard, too. And he works really hard at it. I, I give him full credit on that account. Yeah. Um, no, you're totally right about that. See, I'm, I'm not sure I'd agree 100% with your analysis of... You were saying it splits how? Per, either be a fantastic generalist where you can do 20 things or be the highest level of specialist. That's easier for... The generalist, I think it's easier for the AI to take over because 20 things is not tougher than one thing. If it can, it, it just has to separate them out, do this task, do this task, do this task. I think it depends on the category. And to me, this is why the trades stay, is because they're not very complicated tasks, but a tradesman has to do 20 different tasks. Right? That's the whole point of a tradesman, is being a generalist in their specific field. Right? Okay. A, a carpenter is, is not just using a chop saw all day. They're using a chop saw. They're using a band saw. What about saw. like an HR generalist? They're just kind of clicking no. boxes. That That's, can be replaced. Right. That can be replaced. But if you're talking... Uh, I, I agree with the trade generalist then. I'm just saying right. the number of tasks doesn't make a difference to the computer. No. If, if they're all conceptual, they do not make a difference to the computer. But if they're conceptual and they're strategic and they're physical and they're X categories or X categories to the nth degree. Yeah, yeah. Then they might maintain themselves. Even if one was spe highly specialized in CAD, that's not really an area that can ever beat an AI. You have to have a human in the loop at the end of the day to check it off and say, yep, looks good. But that person doesn't need to be highly specialized. But it, that person just has to be highly specialized at prompts. Right. And that's an area we haven't talked about with AI yet and I think is an important area of job security is... First of all, wielding AI within your job that you are struggling so hard to keep. Use it as a supercharger to your own benefits, and doing that involves what? Writing prompts. Yeah, how because does you have to interface. How does, should colleges start having a communications class called Artificial Intelligent Prompts for Artificial Intelligence? Yes, 100%. Know how to talk to the machine. Holy it's, cow. It used to be typing classes back in the 20th century. Why would we not Typing have, classes. It's essentially the same thing. The way in which it is incredibly important that we can type our inputs into Google and get a substantial output, it will be equally important to communicate with a machine to get the desired information. You know, a year ago I was seeing all these videos on YouTube and stuff, just about a year ago this time, because ChatGPT had been out maybe four or five months of that, or released for like four or five months by that time. And it was like, of like top 10 things an entrepreneur needs to be able to do to like success in 2022. And one of them was be good at writing ChatGPT prompts. Yeah. And you know, let's scale back on the excitement from the ecstatic YouTube channel that posted this. But that was a trend over multiple things saying, if you're trying to gain that next little edge in your business, no matter what it is, just be good at writing prompts for the engine. Then it turned out that the engine gave you like wrong answers most of right. the time. So until they verify that. But that's inevitability, right? It's, you know, people didn't, when the first cars came out, a horse could easily outrun it. Sure. But cars eventually got to a point where now you could go 100 miles an hour down the freeway if it doesn't have anybody on it. <laughs> and you can get to your destination 10 times faster than you could with a horse. Well, let's talk about this for a moment. Um, how do you see electric cars? 
or self-driving cars play into this joblessness mm. and kind of laziness of society. It's kind of a perfect point for us to have invented driverless cars. My problem with, with cars and driverless cars specifically is that they are still pretty inefficient. I think public transit is just a lot more efficient than, than cars are, and I think it's going to be a wealth stratification. That oh, anybody yes. who's not in the top 10% uses public transit. Anybody who is in the top 10% uses driverless cars, or they drive because they enjoy the feeling. It's, it's, it's a hobby to them, right? And that's the same thing with horses, Remember, Horses are a hobby for people who can afford to own them. Yep. Similarly, I think cars are going to be a hobby for people who can afford to own them. So you're saying that like car, how horses were used everywhere and then driven off the roads, pun intended, to yep. be only used in tiny controlled circumstances, so too human or driver, driver driven cars are going to be forced out in favor of either just mass public transit or self-driven car or you use your own driven car on, like, little back roads. Because it's not legal yeah. on the streets anymore. Even one drive driven car in a fleet of self-driven cars is an outstanding liability. So you have to have 100%. I think it's also going to go to the next level. And this is the next level. <laughs> when I think about it in the sense of what is the, what is the future of humanity, I do think it really comes down to stratification. I think people are... You know, what about, this is America, all men are created equal. But we're not. But it's, and then it's what you do with your... Equality. Equality <laughs> that separates people, that stratifies people. And some also, people work hard. We some people are lazy. We also recognize that there are some people that are just born special. Yes. And there are some people that are born special in a different way. Yes. And they're at two ends of the spectrum, and at the end of the day... <laughs> We are going to demonetized. <laughs> 100%. 100%. <laughs> At the end of the day, I think you run into a situation where it's, it's not that there's not enough to go around. With a, with a productive environment and with AI doing all of our work, there would be enough for everybody. No, that's true. What's, gonna be, what's the right side to be on? But I, I think... I think Is there a war coming? If there's a war, I, I don't want to be on the side of the massive poor people with guns. You do or don't? Do. You do. Because uh, then you overthrow the, right. first, the first group of one percenters, and then it turns into about ten percenters yeah. at the top, and maybe they stay in power and you worm your way in. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe there's another revolution that turns into the top 20% yeah, are in charge. It's, this, it's the power <laughs> to the proletariat social revolution that Marx dreamed of. Here. Well, it's like in the French Revolution, there were several revolutions yeah. one after another. The, Nobody was safe. The 19, uh, 1792 people versus the 1796 people versus the 1801s. You know, everybody wants to kill everybody else. Exactly. But where I'm coming from in relation to what we're talking about, and I'll, I promise this is this will we'll be wrapping up here in a second. Yeah, we went kind of dark there. <laughs> anyway, what I'm trying to get at is this idea: humans, for for unfortunately for the top tier of humans. It's not just their aggrandized lifestyles that makes them happy. It's also the subjugation of others that brings them joy, right? It's not enough for the people Ooh. in the top tier of society to be rich because if everybody's rich, then they're not happy. They have to be separate. They have to be above it all. This reminds me of a quote. 
I don't remember what it was, who, who it was from, but I remember the time. It was a time of, like, the early, very early, like, 1900-somethings. Mm-hmm. And it was, like, a time of, like, industry. And, it was, and maybe it was from a movie. But it said, like, there's some men out there who don't want to succeed just to succeed. They want to succeed and for everybody else to fail. Yeah. And that was Thomas Edison. He didn't just want to win. Yeah. He wanted everybody else to, to lose. Yeah. And so that was as much a part of his winning Whereas today, we have a much more collaborative culture. I think that collaboration breeds success in most situations. I would agree, but I also think that collaboration breeds productive success because it outcompetes competitive environments, right? Hyper-competitive environments, while they might breed short-term success, people burn out of those quickly. Whereas hyper-collaborative environments generally will outperform the hyper-competitive ones in the long run. Yes. But that's not true when AI is doing all the productive tasks. Ah. Then competition versus collaboration don't matter. And people, I think, and it's it's a very Locke argument versus Hobbes argument, I think people will want to not just be wealthy, not just be productive, not just be powerful, but have everybody else be weak. Yes. And to me, that is the indication that... We live in a messed up society at that point. Well, it's it's hierarchical by nature. We are hierarchical beings. It's like the caste system. Yeah. In America, you could see that happen. That kind of already has happened right now. It's not not based on a social level, but it's on economic level. If you look, yeah, on an economic level. We already do that. And for the record... That kind of feudal apparatus still exists in a lot of Europe to this day. There's a reason there's a House of Lords in England that still has a great deal of political power, or the state as an institution led by the monarch. That's not going anywhere in a hurry. No, that's just residual from an olden time. But now, in America, we'd like to think it's a modern republic. It doesn't have anything in there that says that there can't be stratification of society based on wealth that you've accumulated. It doesn't not say that. I just think we're monkeys wrapped in suits. Like, yes, we might have a modern apparatus on a philosophical level, but we're the same chimps in clothing. Yeah, which is why I want to go see more of the world. Yeah, me too. Do a photography trip or something. Do that some time with Griffin. Exactly. Yeah, we, we... you need to collect content, damn it. <laughs> it's the most important thing that one can do. Education and information. Exactly. Well, should we wrap it up? I think we should. Um, We're going to have to come up with a name for this type of segment. The co- coffee and outdoors something. Oh, yeah. Well, we'll, we'll, you'll see it on the YouTube video. But thank you so much for joining us this far. If you've made it to this point in the video, uh, my hat goes off to you and your patience. But with that being said, I'm Matt. And I've been Grante. And this has been the Griffin Review. So I guess we're live. <laughs> and this we, is... We are indeed. And welcome back to Griffin Review. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm joined with Grant today. He is going to be talking us through a little bit about headset display for new military technological advancements. Yeah, and uh, thanks for the introduction, Matt. Um, you guys are watching the Griffin Review or listening to the Griffin Review, and I'm sure you're all familiar with what a heads-up display is, but I think of it more as, like, a, here's what it is. It's a node of communication extremely close to the user that's also relaying them information. It's relaying it to a central computer to make the decisions of what to show on screen, and it's presenting those in, well, I think we call it near real time. 
to, to a user in a high stress, high, pardon the pun, impact situation. So um, let's take a look. If we go to the first slide, this, this is what it's called. It's called the um, IHA IHADS, and it's um, the integrated, it, here's what it is, integrated helmet and display sight system. Uh, if we go to the next slide, that actually shows what it looks like. It's almost like a monocle run over, worn over one eye. Um, that shows, shows mapping and if my sources are correct, also allows the pilot to guide the aircraft's motion and targeting via their eyesight. This is awesome. Uh, no doubt that this is an introduction from like, what was uh, Palmer Luckey's last company before Andorel? That they're a hundred percent providing that tech. Oh, for sure. No, with, with when it comes to defense tech, it feels like everybody knows everybody else. That it's it's such a small, closed room of of tight knit elites. I would expect nothing less for, for the so. for the best one in the world, <laughs> that best group. So what is what is the point of this technology? What is it actually adding that's confirmationally different? It's giving a bit better capabilities to the pilot and you know licensed pilot I'm thinking about I'm thinking as one would almost maybe for as little of having a drone license gets you <laughs> <laughs> um, but th thinking about what you want to see that's on the ground and around uh, that's awesome to try to, to have this kind of heads-up display not to mention one which is actually near real-time which is a feat in and of itself um, but also I don't know. I, I'm very excited by this being used. So the way you're describing it reminds me of, in, in surgeries, a machine that's called the Da Vinci machine, which the, the Da Vinci device, if, if you've looked into it already for, for robotic surgery, it basically allows the surgeon a lot more ease of access, rotation, um, strength, but also um, fine-tuned skills that human hands just don't allow for. Okay. In a sense, it's simply just augmenting the human's abilities by using their same physical capabilities. I see. Is, I see. This, is this doing something similar? Is this just working with what human perception already is? It is. It's okay. adding kind of another layer for the, for the well-trained mind. Right. But I think what would be best coupled with it is like a sense of haptics. Mm. For example, um, on this aircraft, the Apache, which it's used in, apparently one of the tests that here, I have it written down. One of the tests uh, that the student pilot must do in order to be able to fly it is to fly the aircraft with the blindfold mat around the cockpit, relying only on the sensors and haptics and kind of LIDAR detection that the unit has associated with it, mm. intentionally flying just by radio signal rather than by sight. Right. Um, I think that, that that integrated with a haptic system, which lets you know where your allies are and in what direction you might be receiving fire from, mm -hmm. ooh, that just augments the, I hate to use the word immersion, but the level of control the pilot, the actor, shall we say, has over its unit. It becomes more integrated with itself, but more, more importantly, with the group. And like, is the next generation of warfare is like swarm mechanics. Right. It it, it will be 
I'm saying it now. <laughs> <laughs> Predictions by Grant Culture in 2023. Let's hey, see how these age. Swarm mechanics or swarm <laughs> technologies, I guess. That's some Ender's Game stuff right there. But it's, it's the direction that uh, modern technology is moving towards is the idea that if you can have a lot of low-budget interference to overwhelm your opponent without necessarily spending eighty, ninety, a hundred thousand dollars on a one-time use missile. If you, if you can have these kinds of interactive combat sources that are easy to just swarm your target in mm. mass, you have assurance that your aim is going to be successful. Better deterrent. Right. At the end of the day. Yeah. Absolutely right about that. You just have more more machines that you can throw at the problem. Sure, and I think that there's a level of an advantage to those units working together. You know, something Napoleon was famous for was having all of, who are the guys that carried batons, the marshals? Oh, yeah. Yeah, you had like 19 of them. Yeah. And just the, the way that they would move in concert and right. meet up at one place seemingly overnight. Right. Uh, that, that's the ability to work as a communicative team is such an asset, especially in communicative gridlocked places like an office yeah man this audiobook i'm doing sorry to branch off guys <laughs> this totally. audiobook i've been doing is talking all about how important it is to like communicate with the workspace mm-hmm. it actually makes you richer <laughs> right. at the end of the day so i mean i'm hoping so <laughs> but back to the issue at hand that this is a uh, pretty cool advancement and i'm glad that the griffin review can cover it absolutely and if you want to see more topics like this be sure to comment in the comments section down below exactly what is tickling you these days and what what topic you are most interested in seeing moving forward Uh, we're happy to cover a wide range of topics and it's always interesting for us to look at a wide range you know we talk about a lot of technology advancements or geopolitical advancements but really everything is on the table to talk about as it affects everyday people because these advancements in military technology affect our security. Well, let's, let's face it. The, the, these kinds of productions are more or less in, uh, shareholders meetings for <laughs> Griffin Enterprises. Right. And there's enterprises in it in a lot of things. You know what yeah, I mean? Absolutely. Um, to that effect... What is the major takeaway from these types of technological advancements? And do you think the United States military is going to be pushing out more advancements along these same lines? Taking something that's already good and improving on it, or starting over from scratch and just trying to invent a whole new system? Hot geopolitical take, (laughs) which you're going to get a kick out of. And then (laughs) we'll we'll switch cameras, and you'll get to talk about this. But so the best thing that the U.S. could do for its balance sheet was get rid of old um, military equipment. Right. So this schlep of sending things to Ukraine is actually the best deal the U.S. could have ever got. But here's the thing. Next, they're going to have a ton of orders for next generation equipment. Right. Dude, every one of these is going to come equipped with some sort of augmented reality, heads up display, connects the pilot with the environment and its peers type of thing. That's a pretty good so- uh, piece of hardware to invest in. It's kind of cruel to think about, but the Russia-Ukraine war represents 
the optimal arms show for US technology. It's a balance sheet dump, so we can go and invest in a ton more. But also every country on the map that's allied with the United States can look at these cool toys that the Ukrainians have, that the Americans have had since the 1970s, 1980s, ooh. and say, ooh, I want that. Oh, I would like to get that in my next balance sheet. You know, yeah. I, you know it, it's it's really a way to get your, your product, it's product placement it, in a cruel oh way. Oh my God, <laughs> that's very cruel of you to say, but it might be true. <laughs> it's just, it's just it's probably true. It's just a theory. But anyways, not that we're going to be the the deepest conspiracy theorists <laughs> here on this venerable show, but you know, it's always worth talking about if nothing else for for curiosity's sake. Uh, with that being said, Grant, thank you so much for telling us about this. I've definitely learned a lot, and I hope you all have learned a lot too. And with that being said, we'll be back with the Griffin Review in just a few minutes. See you later. <laughs>